They said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John, the sixth chapter, verses 29 through 33. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. I have loved the Lord's Supper ever since I was baptized into the faith at 13. I remember being drawn to it even before being baptized, watching the adults in the congregational churches I grew up in take the communion every Sunday. Teachings about the Eucharist immediately grab my attention and captivate me because something within me desires to know and understand everything that can be known about what happens at the Lord's table. It's fair to say that a right understanding of the Eucharist is something that I am passionate about. Today's lesson is therefore one of those that I count as one of my favorites, along with the whole Bread of Life discourse, which we will continue to hear over the next couple of Sundays. As a quick aside, do you remember how last week's gospel ended with a statement, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened? Did you wonder then what the disciples were meant to understand about the loaves? Did you also notice how we have been reading from St. Mark's Gospel, and this week we are reading from St. John's Gospel? The church, through the lectionary, takes time to teach us what we are supposed to understand from the loaves, since we, like the disciples, are prone to either miss it or forget it once we have learned it. We turn to St. John's Gospel account because often St. John provides the deeper meaning behind the events of the Gospel story. In this case, the meaning behind the feeding of the multitude. With that little preface out of the way, let us look at the text. We start off hearing about how the crowds who had been with Jesus set out to find him after realizing he is no longer on the same side of the Sea of Galilee with them. Many of these people had been fed with the multitude the previous evening, so they set off to find the one who had provided for their need. Upon finding Jesus, they question him about when he crossed the Galilee. I think it's fair to read a bit of exasperation in this question. Why didn't you stay over there? Why didn't you tell us you were coming here? Why did you leave us? Jesus answers them by saying that the reason they were seeking him was not because they saw mighty works of God, but because they ate well the previous day. He admonishes them not to be satisfied merely with having their physical needs and desires met through their earthly labors, seeking instead the satisfaction of the soul through the work of God. He further promises to give them eternal food just as he gave the temporal food, because God has granted him authority to do so. The crowd immediately asks what it means to do the work of God so that they can gain the eternal food. This reveals that they still have 
a transactional mindset about their relationship with God, thinking that Jesus is promising a just payment for their taking on some duty. This is the essence of a works-based salvation. Our Lord responds with the promise that the one who believes in the Christ as the one whom God has sent will receive the eternal bread. The English Standard Version, which we read every Sunday, renders his response as, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. The crowd has asked, what what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus responds, the work of God is that you believe in whom he has sent. I want to put forward something that may cut against what many of us have internalized about faith. I know for a long time, I regarded my faith and belief as something I had to do, as if I had to expend effort to believe in God. There seems to be a strain of reasoning within some Christian traditions today that see our faith as the product of our work to be close to God rather than faith being itself a work of God. It is the difference between the crowd asking how they can accomplish the works of God and Jesus telling the crowd what works God will accomplish in them. For we know that faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The only way in which we do work to believe in Jesus is in that we prevail against human pride which wants to set him aside and take his place as Lord. This is by no means a small work. Otherwise, there would be many of our neighbors and friends and coworkers who believe wholeheartedly alongside us. What I mean is that the mere opportunity for us to choose anything other than our own self-interest is a work of God. Responding to Jesus, the crowd demands a sign and says that their fathers provided food in the wilderness. Hear the obstinance of the crowd, and hear how with their own words they convict themselves and lay bare their hearts, even as they act in a way they think is shrewd and wise. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them food from heaven to eat. In saying this, they proved Jesus' words to be true, that they did not seek him because they saw signs, and they did not seek him in hopes of finding eternal food. Jesus reminds them that it was not Moses or their fathers who gave them the manna, and neither is it by human labor that a human being gave them perishable bread the previous evening. Just as God made the manna to come down from heaven and cover the ground so that their fathers could gather it up, it is God who provides the true bread to them. The true bread is Jesus, who comes down from heaven to walk upon the earth, and it is by his life that we receive life. The passage closes with one of the seven I am statements in John, where Jesus references the name of God revealed to Moses to reveal to the Jews that he is not simply a man of God, he is God incarnate. I am the bread of life tells us that Jesus sustains the world and it is by him that what would otherwise perish is being preserved. 
I open this sermon by saying that I love the Eucharist. What does this gospel lesson have to do with our weekly celebration of the Lord's Supper? In John's gospel, there is no narration of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Instead, the feeding of the 5,000 serves that purpose, and this discourse on the bread of life unpacks the theology around the mystery of the table. The narratives in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which depict Jesus' institution of the communion, explicitly tell us that the bread in the sacrament is his body, and the wine in the cup is his blood. It is here in St. John's Gospel that we hear that this was not a gift or ritual only intended for a select few, but that all who believe in Jesus will be granted eternal food. It is because of this bread of life discourse that we receive the teaching of the church that the gifts of the Eucharist, though they are physically really bread and really wine, are in some way that we do not understand also Christ's real body and real blood for those who receive it in faith. By taking in these elements of the sacrament, we receive his life so that we may be sustained to eternal life. We must always be on guard against the attitude with which the crowd approached Jesus. It is not our taking of the Lord's Supper which makes us right before God. If we have that attitude, that we are here simply to eat bread and drink wine and check a box, they will be of little to no further benefit to us than a single morsel of bread and a quick sip of wine. St. Paul tells us that taking of the elements in a manner like that will actually make us worse off than not receiving at all. Neither do we do good and act mercifully so that we are justified in taking the Eucharist. The sacrament is neither a voucher nor a wage. We should do good and we should act mercifully, but we can never do enough good or show enough mercy that we would ever balance the scales weighed against the grace granted to us in the sacrament. When we receive the communion from a place of humble anticipation and acceptance of the grace we are promised in our participation in the Eucharist, that is when we know that the work of God is being done in us. The collect for this week first acknowledges that it is only by God's grace that his faithful people offer him true and laudable service, and then asks that God grant us the grace not to stumble in the course of our life. This is the attitude that we should have when we approach any aspect of worship or relationship with God. The work of God is accomplished through grace, and there is no further effort that must be expended on our part to be worthy of his benefits. The work of God is simply that we would believe in him whom he has sent. Our participation in this work is to take the proofs of God and the authority of his Christ <coughs> as the earnest and open evidences that they are, either in faith because of our ready expectation of the working of God or as a result of understanding of the proofs he has set before us. Once we accept these evidences as true, the heart that is open to God finds that this work to believe is essentially done. It is only the rebellious and prideful heart, the one that prefers the perceived ease under the rule of his own flesh, that finds belief burdensome. 
If you're hearing this and feeling that I may be painting too rosy a picture or oversimplifying things, I can understand that criticism. As I said earlier on, the choice to actually believe is clearly not as easy as we would like it to be. Otherwise, our friends, neighbors, coworkers, and just people we encounter going about our day would all be fellow believers and would all agree with every point of church doctrine upon reaching belief. The truth is, however, we as human beings largely make the choice harder than it is. This is a function of our fallen nature, the lies of the adversary, and the allure of the world. The good news, the gospel in fact, is that Christ has defeated these enemies through his death on the cross and gives proof to his victory in his glorious resurrection from the dead. It is because of this victory that we should believe in the Christ over and above the desires of the flesh, the satanic lies, and the clamor of the world. Someone else might say that my assertion that belief in Christ is a work of God cannot be true, because then the existence of unbelievers would mean that God's work is ineffective. This misses that in the divine plan, God gives humans the choice of whether to participate in his work or not. If a ruler gives me the opportunity to surrender and become a loyal subject, he is by no means defective or defeated, and his rule is in no way less effective if I reject his opportunity and am denied my own rights. Spiteful defeat is still defeat. One way in which we participate in this work of belief is in faithful obedience to Christ's commands. Another way we participate is in accepting his invitations into his life. In faithful participation in the sacraments, baptism and the Eucharist, we are both obeying and accepting. Some years ago, I believed that I received a vision of sorts, or at least an unveiling, that communicated to me that the elements of the Eucharist are fruits of the tree on which life was hung. When we receive the sacrament in faith, we are really receiving the eternal food which Jesus promises us. It is not mere symbol or dim type. The Eucharist really gives us life. This is not to say that Christians, that the Christian who receives in faith will not physically die, or that those who physically die did not receive in faith. I mean that the same life that died once and then defeated death is communicated to us so that even though we die, yet will we live again. The same one who said, I am the bread of life, also says, I am the resurrection and the life. As we prepare to receive communion in a short while, I invite you to listen closely to the prayers being prayed and to read the words of the prayers as Father Ben prays them. Listen to what the church says about the body and the blood of Christ and meditate on what these words mean. Take some time after you receive to sit in silence and ask God to break down any doubts or uncertainties you may have about the gifts we, have, we receive in this blessed sacrament. May we always be a people who earnestly say, give us this bread always, and in faith receive the gifts that God gives to us. Amen. <laughs>